0: you're now listening to the live different podcast with matt wilson hello everyone and welcome to the live different podcast i'm your host matt wilson and today we have a very special guest mike McCallowitz. mike is the author of several books including one that got me hooked in 2008 when i first met him over 10 years ago the toilet paper entrepreneur There's another book called the pumpkin plan which i've read and a new book called Profit First. Uh, and in fact, he has another book coming out called Clockwork about systematizing your businesses. But today I want to talk to him about Profit First. And before people start thinking, oh man, this is just going to be about – money grubbing and pinching pennies and trying to squeeze every margin out of your customer and picking them up by the by the feet and shaking them upside down and see what mm-hmm. kind of coins you can get to fall out of their pockets. Uh, I want to quickly dispel uh, that because Mike does such a nice job in the book. Uh, it's a short book and he really talks about how if you're in business, you have to put yourself first. Uh, and not because of, oh, okay, I'm the business owner, I've got to make all the money, but because far too often oh. people do not put themselves first, and as a very wise, business person once told me, a mentor of mine, that if you want to talk about sustainability, if your business does something good in the world, if you want to change the world through a social enterprise, let's say, the most important thing in sustainability is financial sustainability, because if it doesn't work financially, it's just not gonna work. You are never gonna see your goals come into fruition. So I'm excited to talk to Mike about that he has founded three multimillion dollar companies before the age of 35. He's a former columnist for the Wall Street Journal and former business makeover specialist on MSNBC. Mike, it's awesome to talk to you today.
1: Matt, it's so good to be reconnected. Thanks for having me on your show.
0: Absolutely. You've been uh, you've been busy as we just caught up speaking all over the world, especially as your book got translated into Spanish. And uh, yeah, we were just exchanging some what it's like to to do business in in Latin America and uh, all all sorts of fun stuff. So, so Mike, I I wanted to uh, get into right away uh, why you decided to write a book about profit.
1: Yeah, so, you know, in the introduction – I think you were nailing it, is uh, I think there is a negative association with profitability that if we focus on profit, we're a money grubber, all we care about ourselves. We're, you know, the greed is good mentality, and uh, that's not true. I, I believe profit is necessary and important, uh, and actually it's critical. It's the only way to care for customers. So a lot of people respond to me and say, well, Mike, Profit First, it's the customer who comes first. And I said, well, how can the customer come first if we're not profitable? We're going to go out of business. Isn't that a disservice to the customer? So this isn't about money grubbing. What what Profit First is about is it's about sustainability to ensure that there's a a constant infusion of cash into the business so that can deliver the good things that you're doing. Um, And the the core premise is real simple. We've been told – since you know, since the invention of modern accounting, that profit comes last. We actually use terms like profits, the bottom line, or the year end. Those are all indicators that it's the final consideration. The problem is when something comes last, it's the ultimate manana syndrome. Um, you know, it, it can wait. And uh, as we're recording this, we're right in the midst of the U.S. tax season, and what what are business is doing or they're looking at their numbers and saying, ah, I wasn't profitable this year. Well, maybe next year. And they literally delay profit for another 365 days. So what I argue is that profit is not an event, not something that can get delayed, not something that can wait till manana. Profit has to happen now. And how we do it is instead of having profit be an event, we make profit a habit, something that's baked into your business. Every transaction, every time you do uh, business, there's a piece of it coming out toward profit to ensure your sustainability and growth.
0: Okay, awesome. I think that is a, a critical point for people to get their heads wrapped around. And Mike, as a speaker, as an author, as someone who – uh, went on M- M- MSNBC to rip apart people's businesses and tell them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've watched the show a few Oh, you saw the few show? T- yeah, I, yeah. I've, I've seen it for sure. I mean, it, it was, I guess it was a while ago now, but I definitely remember, uh, you know, being able to, oh, that's Mike McCallowitz on M- MSNBC. Yeah. That's really cool. And, you know, you you told it to him straight. And, uh it's it's so important that that people understand this stuff, um, of course. But you've seen so many businesses that just aren't working out uh, because the people can't afford to pay themselves, or they don't prioritize it, or they never get into the habit of making a profit, as you said. Uh, so can you can you talk about the maybe some. Examples that you've seen or who your stereotypical person that might start a business and it has not gotten profitable yet and how the book can specifically help them?
1: Yeah, so uh, I guess a typical business is most businesses. Most businesses aren't profitable because we start our business with one singular focus, which is revenue, the top line. We, we Anything to get a sale. Let's just grow and and grow at all costs and it it becomes almost a illusion or delusion in that we start generating sales um, which feels good but none comes to the bottom line but for a while we can sustain on just making sales like oh we're growing at least and and look at how much money is coming in but the day does come when there's no money going into our pocket and and we don't have any savings to pull from we can't borrow from family or friends anymore you know it's it's gone And that's the day uh, we kind of lose it. What I consider uh, revenue is really stress for a business. The more revenue a business generates, the more stress is put upon the business. And and stress isn't necessarily a bad thing, but the more stress means the more responsibility we have. Every sale we make, we are responsible to deliver a product or service behind that. And and that stress needs to be balanced out uh, with the, the, the power of relief, which is profit. The, the more profitable you are, it, it reduces the stress because there's that confidence that cash will see you through. You know, it, The more sales we have without profit, um, the, t- the, the tighter and tighter, uh, or, or the closer and closer we are to the verge of, of collapse because if one customer doesn't pay, if, if one service or product goes poorly and we have to redo it, we don't have the resources to cover for that. So, so profit brings that balance. The, the question is how do you get started, and this is what we do. is that, um, Starting today, anyone listening right now can do this. Starting today, start allocating money toward profit. And specifically, what you do is set up a bank account uh, in Costa Rica. We're talking off for air. It can take a couple hours. You know, in the U.S., you could probably do it pretty quick. But wherever you are on the planet, you can set up a bank account. And it does need it does need to be a bank account, um, and it needs to be a bank account specifically for profit. So make a savings account or whatever. But every time a deposit comes in, take a percentage of that money and allocate it toward profit. And what happens is nothing short of miraculous. What happens first is now we're taking profit immediately during every transaction. So it's no longer the bottom line or the year end. It's no longer delayed. It's an immediate occurrence that profit is taken. But the second thing is you start to realize I suggest most businesses start slowly and build up their profit percentage, but you start to realize that when you take your profit first, that you your business needs to be run in a different way. That some of the expenses you're incurring may not be necessary, but since we had the money, all money allocated to operating expenses in the past, that we were incurring this expense, maybe we can cut some costs. The other opportunity that presents itself inevitably is we find ways to uh, increase margins, how to deliver more value to our customers and prospects so that's the key set up a profit account start taking profit with every transaction profits no longer an event now
0: profits a habit excellent excellent and I, I wanted to dive into the topic a little bit about uh the concept of growing broke and how okay everybody when you start a business it's just sell 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 get any money and you can in in any money in the door that you can, cash flow, cash flow, because you're using that cash to fund your growth. But eventually that catches up to you. It has caught up to me for sure in in our business. Uh, but could you talk about how that can catch up to you so quickly and then all of a sudden you're under tremendous financial stress and it's not fun because I've been there?
1: Yeah, so uh, so what happens is – um With businesses is is we start generating revenue and the revenue comes in and what most businesses do is they run their their financials off their bank accounts now here's the irony is our accountant will tell us never look at your bank account that's not representative of where your business stands there's outbound checks there's inbound deposits coming in instead look at your income statement your balance sheet your cash flow statements know all these numbers inherently they, they, they do reflect the health of your business and while that's true, the reality is most entrepreneurs I know, myself in particular, revert to what's called bank balance accounting. I just log into my bank account and see if I have money. If I have money, I, I can spend it. If I don't, uh, I panic. You know, I need to make sales. So what happens is by doing this bank balance accounting, I become very reactionary. Uh, I can actually tell if a, 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 if a business owner is doing bank balance accounting just by asking them, how's business? And if they go, oh, business is great, that means they got some money some good deposits that day and the next day I ask him how's business like oh it sucks it's because all the money went out to the stack of bills that was piled up on their desk and nothing else has come in so to address this what we need to do is uh is to to start reducing some of the uh, expenses we have taking our profit first is the mechanism that gets there but but the the thing is you know we we get a sale in for whatever, say ten thousand uh, dollars. For for many folks, that's a good chunk of change. If, if I have a ten thousand dollar deposit that comes into my business, uh, I, I feel bolstered. I feel, wow, this is good. I look at the stack of bills on my desk, and it's only five thousand. I say, oh, I can I can spend five thousand more. I have ten thousand dollars, so my expenses start to expand very rapidly to meet my income. Uh, now more bills may come in that I wasn't thinking about or forgot about, and I'm like, oh my god, I don't have enough money for it. And this this experience of our Demand for money to increase as the money flows in, uh, meaning we spend more as more money comes in. That phenomenon is called Parkinson's law. This guy was—he's a a theorist from the 1950s, and he was studying human behavior and noticed that as a resource expands in its availability, our consumption of that resource expands. You know, the more food we serve at dinner, the more we eat. Uh, The more time we're given to uh, to prepare for something, the longer it takes us to prepare for that something. The, uh, the more money that comes into our business, the more we inherently spend. So that becomes a trap. And that's why so many uh, entrepreneurs get caught off guard because they start spending at the level of their income. But when the income drops, and income's volatile for almost every business, when the income drops, their spend has already climbed above their income. And now they start incurring debt. They run up credit cards, borrow money, and it gets worse and worse and worse. The, the interesting thing about taking our profit first is we're inserting this kind of wedge into our income. So instead of seeing in your bank account a ten thousand dollar deposit, since we're taking our profit first, and let's say we take a twenty percent profit, you don't see ten thousand dollars in there. Now you see eight thousand dollars. The the profit's been removed, and sure enough, your business lifestyle will grow to the eight thousand.
0: But you've ensured profitability because you've taken it first. That's that's great, and uh, I've recommended so many times on the podcast uh, the E Myth by Michael Gerber because. Oh, I love Yeah, Yeah, what you're talking about right here is the fact that most people want to start the business. Okay, me, for example, uh, love to travel, thought that I could do this more often, looked at my friends, said they're not traveling. Why don't they come with me or why can't I find new friends that actually want to travel? Okay, so Under 30 Experiences was born and then all of a sudden – I have an accountant who's saying, oh yeah, you got to be looking at your accounting software every day here. You can't just be looking at your bank account. And well, that's not the most, that's not why I started the business so that I could be, have my nose in the books all day, but it's a very important part of it. But you're able to simplify that through some of your, your system. So I think that's, yeah, that, that's so important. And, And I wanted to ask you uh, Mike, a little bit more about Parkinson's law, specifically when it comes to personal finances, you know, now your book is focused yeah. on, uh, people's, uh, people's businesses, but yeah. you tell so many good stories about lessons that you learned, like buying Dodge Vipers. Uh, <laughs> would you, would yeah, you yeah, mind, yeah. would you mind telling the audience a little bit, uh, about what you learned and trying to you know as you grow as you grew as a business person well so did your expenses and uh, could you talk to the audience a little bit about that
1: oh yeah yeah so Parkinson's law is a uh, is a human wiring Uh, it's built into all of us and and I've had the good fortune too of of traveling to many countries in the world now just returned from uh, uh, 15 days out in India I'm heading down to Mexico uh, shortly, and uh, I've been all over Europe. And what I'll ask people is, um, who here? And these are all entrepreneurs I talk to. Who here uh, runs their business off their bank accounts? And and basically, every hand goes up. And uh, what I'll say is, well, if you have a lot of money in the account, does that mean you're you're doing well? And they say, yeah. And I say, if you have no money, does it mean you're not doing well? They said, yeah. Well, that's the definition of Parkinson's law. Parkinson's law states that our behavior will adjust based upon its supply. Full supply will, will think over-optimistically, and when there's a, a, sc- a scant supply, we'll become pessimistic uh, but also very frugal, uh, which is can be a good thing, but it can go over the top. But this also applies, so it applies to business finances. Um, we become very reactionary, overspending when we have more money and, and uh, become frugal when we have less. Well, I found it in personal finances, too, and And unfortunately, I had to learn this lesson about numbers the hard way. Now, here's the thing. I went to college as a finance degree, uh, as a finance major. And I I came out of school thinking, because I went through these courses that I knew everything about finance, when in reality, I I discovered I know squat about it. And specifically, uh, when I had a good inflow of money, I I built a company and sold it. Uh, The business was never profitable, by the way, as I was building it. It the only way I exited. A lot of money came onto my plate. And when that money arrived, I said, Oh, now I have a new standard of living. Parkinson's Law, right? The, the source of income. So I, immediately I went out I bought a Dodge Viper. I also, that same day, bought a Land Rover LR3, a, a BMW, and a BMW. Oh all, all, all Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, I, I, I said I became the biggest dick on the planet. I just didn't realize it. And I had the trophy of dick uh, <laughs> thing, which was the Viper. Right? Are you, know? you sure it wasn't the smallest, Mike? Yeah, I had a small <laughs> of the small stick on the plan. I was trying to make up for it. And I had the trophy, which was the viper to prove it. Um, that's funny. I like that. So what happened was my, my spending continued to climb to meet my new, albeit momentary, uh, increase in revenue. So uh, I went on a sabbatical in Hawaii. We, my wife and my children, we, we rented a house on a private island and stayed out there. and We, we did all these different things. Um, but – Within two years, I drained everything, um, everything to the point where my accountant suggested I declare bankruptcy. Uh, by the way, something which I never did. I, I realized that I had dug my own hole and that uh, I wasn't going to be, you know, let my creditors pay for my stupidity. Uh, so I decided to earn my, my way out. But it took me about six years, actually even by eight years, to ultimately dig all the way out. But I did, um, you know, plus some. And it also became an awakening for me. And the awakening was this, um, is that I had no clue of how finances worked. I I had no understanding, even though I thought I did. And what I started to observe was, well, how was I behaving? What was I doing? And the big thing for me was this bank balance accounting, log into my bank accounts, see how much money I have, act accordingly. And so I decided I need to set up a system that captures my behavior. And, and that's the key. I, the, the traditional accounting, personal or, or business finance, teaches us to do certain things, but they aren't consistent with how we naturally behave. They, don't, they aren't consistent with what we normally do. So I decided to set profit first up to just capture my existing behavior. Therefore, I don't need to change. i had a system now that was channeling me to become profitable. And even for my personal finances, I use the same system. Um, so I have, I actually logged in today, I have about 15 accounts uh, for my personal finances. You know, we're, we just bought a new car for my wife for cash because we've been saving for it. Uh, actually, we're, we're buying a new house, which we've been saving for for 10 years. And we have all the cash. Uh, and this this is the one case we're actually taking a mortgage, but we have all the cash for a uh, the, the, the deposit and so forth. So we don't have to pay any you know premiums. We um, we we have an account for my uh, daughter's future wedding. My daughter's nineteen. She probably not get married for ten, twenty years, or maybe never. But we have an account for that, and we're tucking away once a week. There's fifty bucks going in there, and within ten years, there's the money for the wedding. Um, so what this system does is it allows you to actively and proactively allocate money to its intended purpose and because each account is labeled with its intended purpose, uh I don't steal from it. I, I know this is the wedding account for my daughter. I know this is the automobile account. I know for vacation this is what we can afford and what we can't afford because the money's already in there. So it, it's a great real-time kind of budgeting system.
0: Okay, great. And I'm sure a lot of people are wondering or you've had this question uh plenty of times. When this money's just sitting there in the bank account, alright, it's not earning too much interest at today's rates, and you could. Uh, you could have this in the stock market, where of course you could lose it all. Uh, but w- what do you say to people who who ask, "Well, well, Mike, that money's not compounding very much. If you're if you're trying to save for uh, your daughter's wedding, that might not come for another ten or fifteen years." Uh, yeah, what do you what do you say to that? What's your what's your strategy? Yeah,
1: I'll, then invest it, right? So, uh, for now, that money is is insignificant. It's maybe $10,000 saved up. I mean, I just take it back. That is kind of significant. Um, But other accounts, I do invest. And um, it's interesting. I read, I think it was in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, saying that, you know, the wealthy invest in low risk, high return. So what I think the book said is that most people believe that to have high risk, to have high return, you need to take high risk. But there's these investments that are high return, low risk, and that's what I started doing. So I invested, for example, there was this fund that um, when, when someone had a lawsuit, like a personal injury lawsuit, that this fund would give the people the current worth of that lawsuit today um, with in exchange for the rights for the settlement, which sometimes took like four or five years, so people could get the immediate benefit they needed now, and so they win, and then uh, the company would get the settlement. But that could be – you know, the return could be like 100% return and very low risk, very low default rate. And that was wildly successful. Um, so it was an investment I made. So uh, the, the net effect is I believe in investing in compounding. What, what I also most importantly believe in is removing access to the money from ourselves, preventing ourselves from stealing from ourselves. It's easy to say, you know what? Why don't we get an even nicer car? What's this – you know, quote, unquote, borrow from the wedding account just just for today and we'll pay it back. Well, I'll never pay it back. So what I do is for accounts, one mechanism I have is uh, I get accounts that can only take money out by check. And I do a dual signature check, which means my friend who, you know, this is not his money, it's my money, but he's the other signature on the check. The only way I can withdraw money is if he signs on the check. And, you know, he's a stinge. So anytime I want <laughs> to I want to go, uh, you know, go on vacation, this is a perfect example because he's a signature it. Anytime I want to go on vacation, uh, Joe's like, well, show me the booking, show me everything. He's like, you know, we got to make sure you're not touching any of the money. And I'm like, oh, geez, yeah. But I can't because he prevents me from doing it. And I use it for its intended purpose only.
0: That's great. Having an accountability buddy who's not emotional about the decision, who stays grounded in their opinion that's that's really awesome and, and uh Mike what about the flip side so if you are listening and you are a diligent saver and you don't touch your money and uh oh my god you know you can prob you can definitely afford a nicer lifestyle except you just tuck everything away and uh pretend that you're you're broke what do you say to those people because celebrating the little things in life is so important that they have, you know, it, I think it's very important that people uh, see the fruits of their labors at, at, at least at some point, but I'm guilty of, no, oh, just put it away. Oh no, I, I don't have that money. And then I'm just thinking about the next thing and the next thing. And I, I never take the time to celebrate as I should. So what would you say to those group of people?
1: Yeah. So, you know, we got to do what, what serves us. And so I, I think the mistake I, I would say is like, you know, celebrate more, enjoy life. Like the, they maybe are enjoying life by being a saver, right? So we're defined by our life's experiences. And I think some people just say, you know, I, I just enjoy knowing I have this wealth of cash. And quite frankly, uh, uh, as life goes along, I may never spend it. It, it may be something that's passed down to the next generation or something I make a, a donation uh, to some charity with. Um, but I, I think the intended use of money is – to amplify ability, meaning if there's something I want to do, it makes it easier and more accessible, uh, whatever that may be. If, if I want to serve the world by uh, doing something charitable, uh, the money amplifies my ability to do that. If I want to um, go down a path that's dangerous, maybe drugs or something like that, money will amplify that. Right? It makes it more accessible. But may, maybe how I get satisfaction out of life is is vacationing and and uh, activities like that money will amplify it. So I, th- I think we can use money that way. I also do think there is a healthy balance, and we have to all figure it out. Uh, for me, uh, I-, I love you know living in the moment, but at the same time, I know that tomorrow, if there's nothing left, uh, I've lived the pain of not having anything. It's very, it freaks me out. So for me, I'm kind of like a 25% live now, 75% save for the future, uh, so as money comes in, that's kind of the breakdown and, um, it, it served me well. I, I think we've got to be very in tune with our emotion around money and let that be served. Uh, let that emotion be served properly. If you, if you're spending lots of money and it's giving you a momentary high, but you're, you're stressing out all the time, you're not being served. If you're storing all your money away, uh, all the time and that gives you confidence but you, you, you feel like you're not uh, appreciating and valuing life, maybe that's not serving you either. Just be in tune with that emotion is my, my sense.
0: No, I think that's fantastic advice. Uh, you had referenced a book in in Profit First. Uh, I believe you referenced it anyway. Simple Numbers, Straight Talk, Big Profits by Greg, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Greg, Greg Crabtree. Crabt- yeah, yeah, you told a story. That's right. You told a story about uh, – you guys chatting college football at some conference and uh, and you both wrote great books on, on profit. And I think it was in his book that he, he told a story about a wealthy client of his who uh, – he he's an accountant by trade, I'm pretty sure, if I'm getting this right. And he tells a story about a wealthy client of his who went on a cruise with his wife and they – uh, they decided, okay, well, you know, they were only going to eat the meals that were included in in the cruise, and then their last night, they were like, "Oh, let's go to the the top level and let's really uh, let's really celebrate. It's our last night." And they had their their big their final big meal uh, at the nice restaurant, and then at the end of the thing, they learned that all the meals were included anyway, and it didn't make a difference in the price of the cruise <laughs> at the end of the day. And he used it as a great analogy for life and it was like it was life-changing for that couple because they said oh yeah at the end of the day it doesn't matter we're we're gonna we need to be enjoying life and and uh you know we can afford to eat at the nice restaurant so so let's do that
1: yeah yeah he's a fascinating guy and uh you know i love that story i love that story and there's a lot of truth to it you know, but but it also to me it also pointed out the balance like some of us we just go to the expensive dinner uh, all the time and we do it to pay extra for it yet there was all these other things we could have done which were already included so I, I also see that other kind of counterpoint to it also look for balance there's a lot included in our existing life that we can extract value from that we ignore uh, at least i've done that you know sure and and i see it in my own business too like i'll buy a new software saying oh i need that software that's a great Capture email capture system. Oh, I need that great leads page. And then I look at the original uh, software I have. I'm like, oh, that original uh, email software actually did all this stuff already. And I ignore what's already in front of me.
0: Yeah, I, I could not. I could not agree more. Uh, and, and then, Mike, what do you what do you say to the people who try to be as least profitable as possible because they think it's a way to get out of paying taxes?
1: Yeah, so I get it, and uh, it does get you out of taxes. It works. Um, The thing is the cost is so great, and it's invisible to us. Let me explain what the driver is behind that. There's a behavioral mechanism called loss aversion, and how loss aversion works is that when we possess something, we will go to a great measure to retain it, actually greater measure to retain it than we would have in the first place to acquire it. Here's an example. If I, uh, if I if I see a shiny red Porsche and I'm like oh oh, oh I wanna I wanna own that um, I, I will fantasize and dream about it um, and maybe one day get it but not not do, do anything extraordinary to get just more dream and hope the funny thing is once I acquire it if uh, if I can't make a payment on it and the car company is going to repossess on me I will go to extraordinary measure to keep that car I'll get a second job I'll I'll work Uber. Or lift or something, just to keep it. I will keep that car locked in my garage uh, and cancel the insurance so I don't have to pay the insurance costs just to keep that that baby of mine. You know, I could have, I could have got that second Uber job uh, earlier on. I could have made sacrifice earlier on. I could have done all these things earlier on before I possessed it. But really, what triggers us is only once we possess something that we go to extraordinary measure to retain it. That is called the loss aversion effect. Once we possess something and we're threatened by its loss, we go to extreme measure. Here's what happens with taxes. You you possess something, it's called money, it came in your pocket, now the tax bill is due, and what do we do? Well, they're taking my shiny red, or my green baby, you know, they're they're taking money out of my pocket. Uh, No, and then we go to extreme measure to protect it, which ironically is spending that money, that exact same money that we're afraid of the government taking, we spend, instead of the government taking their 30 or 40%, uh, we spend 100% of it. Like, oh, just it, it incur expenses, buy buy more office equipment, buy a printer, buy, buy, buy. And we justify the, that spend. The irony is it's, it's a very irrational spend. In most cases, I see businesses buy stuff that they don't need, they could have gotten by with, um, without, but they bought it as a justification not to pay expenses. Which means, by the way, there's no profit left for the business owner either. The, the money's been spent. So, what the little shift I suggest making, and I write about this in profit first, but has a radical impact on loss aversion, is have the money, uh, the profit, I'm sorry, the tax money be allocated by the company in advance. So, as I bring in revenue to my business, allocate a portion of that money toward tax and hide it away. And when you do that, when you have money allocated toward tax, and the business pays the tax on your behalf. You don't experience loss aversion. You don't experience that pain of when the tax bill is due. And that has a
0: pretty extraordinary impact. We start spending uh, a little more prudently. That's that's fantastic. And uh Mike, I wanted to ask you if we could get into kind of the nuts and bolts of your profit first system uh so people have some actionable things to walk away with. I know we've talked about a lot of different uh yeah, a lot of different theories, but you know, if we can talk about how people can go and open up these different bank accounts and what the bank accounts should be for, just like you you suggested. All right, your taxes have to go into one bank account and that's where they should be saved. And you make a really good point about sometimes you just need to fire your bank. Uh, could you talk about that a little yeah. bit more?
1: Yeah. So this uh this system, Profit First, is uh is the pro- is the envelope system. A system that's been around uh for ages. Uh it's 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 taught in Think and Grow Rich, it's taught in The Richest Man in Babylon, uh, other books too. Uh but they're all focused on personal finance. Profit First, I I've took taken those core concepts and modified it uh for for business. And the core element, which we already talked about, is we want to set these bank accounts bank accounts up at our bank because that's where we do our money management. We look at our bank accounts and see how much we have. In the practical execution, what you do is you call your bank, you sit or visit them, and you set up uh, multiple accounts. I suggest five, by the way, five foundational accounts, maybe more. But the five accounts are an income account, which acts as a serving tray of money. As money comes into your business, it sits in that serving tray, if you will, and then we're going to carve it up and assign it out to these other accounts. The uh, next account is called Profit. We already talked about that. This is a reward, by the way, for the risk taker, the person that started the business. Um, Just like you started your business, you did something that the vast majority of the world population will never do. You took on the ultimate risk of of initiating a company. This is a reward for having that courage. Um, And as Profit comes in, we give it to you, the shareholder. The Owner's Comp account is the third account, and Owner's Comp is the pay for the most important employee in a small business, which is the owner-operator. So this is your salary account. It's different than profit. Profit is a reward for being an equity owner. Um, and then the owner's comp account is a, a salary. The fifth account or fourth account is taxes. We talked about this. This is where your business reserves your personal income taxes and pays them for you. It avoids that loss aversion effect. And the last account is operating expenses. That's what you run your business off of. And so what happens in practicalities, we set these accounts up at your bank. They can all be checking, or maybe you want to have a hybrid or a mix of checking and savings. But then money comes in an income account. That's where all your deposits go. Remember, it's a serving tray. You never eat off of a serving tray at home. You you serve to the different plates. Same thing in your business. That money serves is served up by the income account and gets allocated to the other accounts based upon predetermined percentages. You allocate your profit first, hence the concept of profit first. You allocate the owner's pay uh, and so forth. Then when you have the money that's allocated to operating expenses and that's what you must run your business off of and this is kind of a big aha moment for a lot of people they look at their operating expense account and say oh my gosh I don't have enough money in here to pay my bills uh, the first reaction is this clearly the system's not working but that's not the reality when when you allocate money to the operating expense account and there's not enough money to pay your bills that's your business telling you you can't afford those bills we're, you know, we're reverse engineering profit here taking your profit first we've paid you you know the operating expense is what you have to run your business off of if you want to be profitable if you want to pay yourself so it's actually directing you on what you must do to make sure your business is profitable so if you can't pay your bills we have to cut expenses and usually uh, more important and even more impactful is we need to increase margin how do we dictate more money for what we do
0: that's great. And, and Mike, for the person who is not paying themselves right now or they're embarrassed to admit that they their business is not profitable and that uh, owner's, owner's compensation or, or salary sounds just like a far-off dream, yeah. you have very specific advice for them. Uh, could, could you share that with us?
1: Yeah. So f-
0: first of all, if, if
1: you I – mean, someone listening is that person – I want you to realize you're more than not alone. You are the majority. Most businesses, most small business owners aren't taking home any money. Uh, there, there is no profit. And they're embarrassed to admit it. It's what I call entrepreneurial poverty. There's this perception of success. I mean, the day you start your business, every one of your friends thinks you're a millionaire and you're crushing it. Um, and the reality is there's there's nothing. And so there's this kind of disparity between this perceived success and this internal strife of of not making it, so you're not alone. Um, going into the system as I outlined, full bore is actually a risky move, and I don't suggest it either because it's such an abrupt change to your business. So my suggestion is, if you're if you aren't profitable, you're not taking money. Start off by taking a small percentage. One uh, percent is my my number because if you start allocating one percent toward profit and you never had profit before, if you allocate one percent toward owner's compensation, you've never done before. Where you put that one percent? It won't have an impact on your business, meaning if you take in $10,000 uh, in deposits this month or this week or today, whatever it is, and you take 1% of that, 1% is 100 bucks that we're putting to a profit. So if you can run your business off of ten grand, you can run your business off of 9900 it's such an inconsequential amount of money on the impact on how you've run your business in the past. So you don't need to change that. But it is very impactful on how uh, it, it starts playing in our mind because if we start seeing money go into the profit account. And then you see, well, hey, I can do 1%. What if I build that muscle and do 2% or 3 And over time, it may take a year, maybe two, but the percentages will grow slowly but consistently because you can do it. And it will slowly and consistently start reducing expenses, increasing margin, and be able to sustain that profitability. So the, the short answer is start and stay slow, and you'll do very
0: well. Excellent, excellent. And then, Mike, there's a popular – Uh, quote out there that says entrepreneurs uh, watch I'll I'll butcher it of course Uh, entrepreneurs will live now live now like others won't so that in the future they can live like others can't and basically what people are saying is all right. When you first start your business, like you alluded to, Mike, it's very difficult and you may not be able to get paid. Uh, and you're trying to combat that myth, of course, but that 1%, that 100 bucks that you just uh, laid out of off that $10,000 business, that's not going to sustain someone very much. But once you get to a little bit later stage, how can people start to think, all right, I got to make up for those years of of (laughs) no income. Uh, How can people do that and and justify that to themselves instead of continuing to pour money back into the company or hire other people and grow, grow, grow? How can they justify that?
1: Yeah. So, and that that often becomes a common um, perception that, uh, if I start taking money for myself, my business is going to be compromised. Um, you know, I can't grow as quickly. And, uh, I want to kick that thought, uh, in the nuts right away because <laughs> I, because I, I, whoever said it takes money to make money, I, I think was a real jackass. I'm sure um, they had good intentions, I'm sure. But we, we've instilled that in our mindset. And so most of us aren't trying saying, if I, if I have my business to grow, I can't be profitable because it needs to take all the money I have. Uh, and my intention is one day I'll grow to the size where money just magically appears in my pocket. Well, the reality is, from my experience and, and, and the entrepreneurs I've worked with, is that if you don't build a profit habit now, uh, you're never going to have a profit habit in the future. It's like saying, you know, I'm gonna, I'll be a drinker now. Uh, and I'm going to drink more and more with the intention of one day going cold turkey and stopping. Uh, right. the, the more you do something, the, the more it builds that habit. The, the longer you don't take profit, the longer you have a non-profitable habit established. Um, but here's the other thing is I found that businesses that take their profit first typically grow faster than the competition. It sp- actually sparks growth. And that was the kind of the unexpected aha for me. But we now have uh, over 75,000 businesses doing profit first. We have 2,000 case studies, stories that have come in about process. And here's what we discovered consistently: when a business takes its profit first, um, it forces that business to be more critical, more selective in what they do. Uh, if you take your profit first and you don't have enough, enough money to run your businesses, you have to cut unnecessary costs, but you have to increase margin, which means you have to focus on your profitable products. Well. When you focus on profitable products and ditch the things that aren't working, your, your service set or your product set becomes more narrow. You know, when you have a more narrow product or service set, you have to focus on a more narrow community. Who are the people that most benefit from this? When you focus on a more narrow community, you're focused on a niche. And when you focus on a more uh, niche community, offering a superior product but a narrow product, does a few things, but you're the best at it, you become world famous in that community, which is called niche specialization then you become sought after. When you become sought after, you start growing uh, stratospherically. That's when you have exponential growth because the word of mouth is so strong. But you only achieve that if you have niche focus. So it's interesting that when you take your profit first, we actually also reverse engineers niche specialization. And niche specialization consistently is the best best growth
0: strategy for small businesses. That's that's fantastic. And uh, in your book, of course, you say fire your, fire your bank uh, if if you need to. But you also talk about hey, firing clients. And I know this is this is something that a lot of business owners know about. But every time I hear it, it's a constant. Reminder, and of course, if we have any uh, under thirty experiences travelers out there you know we're we're not looking to fire you, but sometimes uh, a business has certain clients that is just not worth it at the end of the day, and you can never break into that niche specialization uh what, what would you How could you remind people that sometimes they just m- might need to uh to take the axe to a to a client who's who's a pain in the ass or not? profitable for them we need to just look at the
1: cost of that client and there's two costs there's the financial cost but there's another one that's even more insidious but first the financial cost there was a study I read it was it was conducted by a company called Strategex. they're they're based out of uh, Illinois Chicago and they found that the lowest 20% of clients for many businesses actually consistently result in a loss and if you think about it one of your lowest clients is, is a client that's never satisfied with the service we've offered, uh, requires that we refund or redo the work, which is very costly, um, and still bitches and moans, maybe doesn't even pay us on time, stuff like that. The irony is we often over-cater to them, so we spend more time on them. We're like, oh, we have to redo the work, so we redo the work. We, the business owner, are following up with them. You know, How are we doing now? Do we improve uh, consistently? And so it, it takes a, a disproportionate amount of time, and they don't pay as well. The other part, though, that we don't think about, which is truly the insidious cost, is that worry time. You know, those are the clients when we go home and we're like, um, you know, we, we try to fall asleep and we can't sleep because there's this this nagging customer. So instead of our our best hours, our our shower moments, uh, and, and, the, and that free thinking time working on improving our business, in fact. We're just concentrating on this this bad client, and I want to make one final point. I'm not suggesting these are bad people. I'm just suggesting they're a bad fit for our business. And what happens when we have the courage to terminate that relationship? What happens is now you've recovered a few things. One is you don't have to redo work, so it actually there's a dollar boost immediately. You're doing uh, you're not getting paid, uh, or I'm sorry, you're not getting paid from that customer, but you don't have to rework do the rework of the of the project 10 times over, so it actually saves you money. But the other thing is, it frees up that emotional time. You don't have, you know, instead of sitting in the shower worrying about this customer, now you're in the shower having inspirational moments going, oh, I could do this, I could do that to serve my best customers. So that, that's why we need to get rid of that lowest end customer
0: and, and have the courage to do it. Excellent, excellent. And, and how how do you do it? You just call them up and and uh, Donald Trump them and say you're fired. How, <laughs> how, how do you do it, Mike? You could uh, if that's that's your propensity.
1: I I don't like to burn bridges, even with someone that's not a good relationship. Um, so there's a few ways to let them down. One is uh, simply by re- increasing prices across the board. And what you'll find is when you increase prices, the people who value your offering. Often will say, What took you so long? And the ones who are dollar shoppers will leave you. But you want the dollar shoppers to leave anyway because you could never increase prices anyway. You're trapped. So that's one way. Um, Another way is to say you're fired. Another one is to just have a can of conversation say, Listen, uh, we're trying to serve you the best we can. This is our standard of service. Uh, You're asking for something we can't deliver on. Maybe in your best interest not to work with us anymore. Or, uh, you can continue to work with us, but we, we will not redo work anymore. I mean, this is it. And you have to pay on time. And if not, then we have to, we have to uh, go separate ways. And then another way, which is really a a soft way of doing it, but I've used this uh, to a to high degree of effect, is I go into contractual agreements with other clients. And uh, it could just be a handshake. I'll say, listen, we're going to focus more attention on you. And as a result, uh, we're going to turn away some other business so we can serve you better. Is, is that good for you? And I'll say, yeah. I say, okay, good. That's our handshake. Now I go to the, the weak clients and say, I'm in a contractual agreement with another entity. I can't disclose who their name is, but they are an extraordinarily significant client for us. And as a result, part of the project is I can't uh, provide the same service to other people. So as difficult as it is for me to say goodbye, um, I have to turn you on to someone else because I'm no longer contractually permitted to work with you. So that's kind of a soft way of using a
0: third party to exit, um, but it's been very successful for me. Sure, sure. And and be careful who you pass that pain in the ass client on to. I'm thinking of a, a referral I got one time, uh separate business for the under thirty experiences uh, listeners who are wondering who I'm talking about, but it was a separate uh a separate business and someone passed me a client and all I could think Every time this client was being so difficult it was, oh, my God, I want to kill the person who sent me this client. So uh, anyway, that's uh, – yeah, one, one little one little caveat, of course. Uh, Mike, this has been extremely, extremely helpful. I shared Profit First and specifically uh, you had a chart in there that compared, uh, I don't know, maybe 10,000 different businesses – Uh, There was a study in there, and there was a chart that really broke down each, you know, just accounting in a simple way, but benchmarks from 10,000 successful companies. And I was able to share that with our team. And it was transformational for us and everybody, oh, it re- yeah, really clicked for everyone. And it was so basic because, you know, your marketing person, your salesperson, your community manager, your, you know, we have different regional managers they don't you know they don't spend a lot of time in the soft in the accounting software and so to open it up and you know put you, put your pocket protector on and say okay guys we're going to go through the books today as a team is difficult but when you compare uh all right here's the basic categories that we're in here's how much we pay in taxes and then we reduce all that down and your system says here's our operating income and we were able, or sorry, operating uh, what you have to to work with, uh, that broke it down for everybody and said, "Oh my God, uh, we're not this huge multi million dollar business. Mm. This is what we have to work with." And it was, it, yeah, it was enlightening. So, thank you for that.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah, that that process can be an eye opener for sure. <laughs>
0: Excellent, excellent, well, Mike, uh before we wrap up, if we just wanted to leave someone out there uh, or the listeners out there, whether they have an established business, whether they're thinking of starting a business, whether they are uh, just interested in using their their profits right their their salary and Being able to be more responsible with their personal finances, if we wanted to leave them with one piece of advice, what would you tell them?
1: To get started, set up that one bank account. Do it today. Don't delay. It's so easy to hear a new idea and say, oh my gosh, I got to do that and then never do it. So the action item is today, right now go to your bank, maybe you can do it online, get one account set up, let's call it profit, it could be in your personal account or it could be in your business, and start allocating 1% of the money that flows into your accounts. If it's, if it's your personal income, 1% of profit. If it's your business we're talking about, 1%. And uh, that's the seed that will start you, I believe, down a path of, uh, of financial stability and profitability.
0: Excellent, excellent. And of course, the book is called Profit First. We will link this up on the show notes as uh, well as on our on under30experiences.com slash blog. Uh, we'll make sure that gets out there so people can pick up a copy because as i've already given it a uh, great endorsement here on the podcast this book made an impact on uh, both myself personally and our business and so yeah mike thank you for that if people want to reach out to you if they want to interact with you i know that you're very good at that and you have an active community that people can get involved with where should they go so they can go
1: to uh, Mike and I know, Matt, that's a doozy to spell. So here's the hacks. Uh, if you go on Google and type in Mike, M-I-K-E, spacebar, Mick, M-I-C, you'll see my name drop down. It's the long Polish one. That's me. Um, the alternative is my nickname in high school is Mike Motorbike. So you can go to MikeMotorbike.com. it will forge onto my site. And up there, uh, the book we talked about, Profit First, all my other books are up there for free chapter downloads. Uh, I used to write for the Wall Street Journal, all my articles are up there, um, tons of free stuff and I'm a podcaster too, so that's M- where you go. Mike,
0: what's the name of your podcast real quick if people want to check oh, it profit out? Fir- the Profit First Podcast. Excellent. I'm going to have to check that out myself. Oh, I hope you enjoy it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Mike, it's been a pleasure. Thanks a lot for being on. Likewise, Matt. Thank you so much. Hey, are you looking for an adventure? Are you looking to take your life to the next level, to reflect, to retreat, to figure out what the next steps for you are? If so, I would love for you to come to Bali, Indonesia with me and my girlfriend and yoga teacher, Luz Garcia. We are staying in the Malayang village in an amazing villa, and we want a dozen people to come with us this September 30th for this yoga and mindfulness retreat to combine it with some incredible adventure on this sacred island, the island of gods as they call it. Uh, We're going to have cultural experiences that we have set up over the last five years operating on the island of Bali uh, through under 30 experiences going into the homes and temples of the local people. We're going to have a uh, children's orchestra lesson. Uh, We have really nice little causes that we support in this village in Bali. It's going to be an incredible experience. If you want more information, you can email me directly, maddenunder30experiences.com. And no, you do not have to be under 30. We are an inclusive group rather than an exclusive group. And if you are a podcast listener, that would be amazing to have you out there. We're going to throw out $100 off right now using the code Different, and I would love to take our relationship to the next level and have you be part of our community. Check it out, under30experiences.com.